Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. Church, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Lashad James. Um, I'm here with my, oh, wow. No, 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 you can't, no, don't do that. Um, I'm here with my lovely wife, Doriana James. Now, y'all could clap for her, though. Come on. Um, uh, I love this woman right here. Um, I have a two-year-old daughter. Her name is Justice James, and I have an eight-month-old son. His name is Champion James, and um, I'm really excited because me and my wife get a chance to just kind of lead our discussion today. So today we're going to be back in the sermon series entitled Love, Jesus, and the People That Make It Difficult. Spoil alert, the people that make it difficult are usually like you and me. So brace yourself for that. So how do we make it difficult? Uh, Although Jesus has made the way to follow him very simple, uh, we often find ourselves distracted from our devotion to God. The Corinthian church that we're going to talk about today had very similar distractions. Uh, In chapter 1 and 1 through 4, Paul addresses division within the church. Uh, People were more focused on following impressive preachers uh, versus unity within the church. And that's when we talked about putting our faith in the source uh, over putting faith in just a resource. So in chapters 5 through 7, which we're going to be talking about today, the Corinthian church was distracted by issues related to sexuality, singleness, marriage, greed, idolatry, drunkenness, adultery, and men sleeping with prostitutes. Woo! This is better than the Netflix special some of y'all watch. All right. So the big question today is, how do we have undistracted devotion to God despite these different issues? And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'll be honest with you, I was tempted as we were getting ready for this to kind of just teach chapters 5, 6, and 7 and show you like how the culture was different back then and like all the idols and maybe show show some photos of the old Corinthian church. Uh, But then I realized that if we were to study these three chapters like that, we would totally disconnect it from our reality. Like, we would be talking about, like, someone else. Like, it's a reality show almost. Have y'all seen a reality show where it's like, I kind of relate, but these people are crazier than me, so there's really no life lessons here for me to learn. If I were to do that with the Corinthian church, that's probably what would happen with us today, that we would look at uh, a man sleeping with his mother-in-law and think, well, that has nothing to do with me, even though incest is one of the top searched pornography items uh, in America. I'm in your living room, I know. Um, it's, it's in there, uh, but we disconnect, right? We, we talk about like, oh, in the Corinthian church, like they did that, but it's not really for me. So we're gonna read through chapters five through seven, and I'm gonna go uh, a, a little quickly, but before we do, I wanna kind of bring it home and, and really try to see if we could talk about us here today. I know for me, when I first became a Christian, like again, I could think about the young Corinthian church and the things they were going through, but when I was first becoming a Christian, I struggled with all the old habits that I had before I started following Jesus. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? 
Like, I, I was addicted to pornography. I was a mean, angry person. I was very manipulative. I was very deceptive. Um, I wanted to have so much approval from other people and other women, and so I was a cheater. And so even though I would call myself faithful to one person I'm dating, I'm still looking for more approval because that one person can't give me the thing I really need, uh, which is more approval. And so I'm looking at it for other, from other people. And so cheating, lying, uh, pornography addiction, sexual immorality, like all of that, it's not just something that I read in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7, but it was something that I experienced myself. And so the question I had for myself is, how am I supposed to live a life of, of full devotion to God when in my own life, I still have old hurts, habits, and then hangups that were kind of messing with me? Yeah, and when Jesus first found me, uh, so Lashad and I have been together for a really long time uh, since high school. So the interesting thing about our story is a lot of it has, uh, we knew each other during these times. And I think I've been definitely blessed to be able to see his transformation in his life, the things that God has done in him. Uh, I know, and also just trickling some of those blessings through uh, him to me as well. But when I first found Jesus, uh, or when our Jesus first found me, I had a lot of distractions that were really pulling me from being a really uh, avid follower of him. So at the time, I had a boyfriend that I was really enjoying. Uh, and how can I practically spend time with Jesus while also trying to please my boyfriend? Like making sure we're spending time together and having fun and connecting. Uh, at the same time, I had developed a really nasty drinking addiction. So on top of diving into this relationship, I was also chasing parties and feeding my own alcohol addiction. And I'm also thinking at this age about my plans in the future. Like, what are my goals, my, my accomplishments for my career? Like, the things that I want to do, uh, how does that kind of fit into my relationship with Jesus, even time-wise? So I'm supposed to live this life full of devotion to God, but how can I when I'm pressed by wanting to be in a relationship, thinking about possible marriage, my career, my wants? Uh, there's a constant struggle of what is the balance between following Jesus and enjoying life or chasing after all the things in this life. Uh, and to be honest, it's sometimes easier to do it the world's way. It was easier to keep my mouth shut and enjoy the comforts that the world has built uh, for the people who need to cushion the struggles of their life. So who, who always wants to work on, to dig out old habits? Who wants to really go to therapy? Who wants to heal the trauma? Who wants to sit in vulnerability? Uh, who wants to pray? And be patient and wait on God when, honestly, there's an app to take the edge off of my loneliness. There's a Netflix series to waste away the hours. And there's a bottle to drown my anxieties in. And there's a quick fix for almost every inconvenience that I faced. So to indulge my flesh was sometimes uh, something that felt better than to call my body under subjection. And for me, there were so many unfulfilled longings. There were failures, there were frustrations, there were distractions. And these distractions, they sometimes served as a numbing agent to my tired heart and to my tired body. So I, I wanna ask all of you, uh, what's distracting you from full devotion to God? Now, it doesn't have to be as heavy as maybe some of the things that we shared. All it needs to be is honest. And our hope in sharing our stories and some of our heavy things is that it gives you the freedom to open up and be honest with yourself and honest with each other, knowing that something that you say might help convict somebody else. Something that you say would probably encourage someone else in their struggle as well, because we're never alone. So again, I'm going to ask you, what's distracting you 
from full devotion to God. You can just shout it out when you have it. Work. Yes. Social media. Come on now. Okay. Yes. Fear. Fear. Oh, fear of what? That's a good question. Mm, what everyone would think of you when they portray you as something else. A few more. What distracts you from your full devotion to God? I see your fear of man. Okay. Busyness. Two more. I got to turn the mic on for that one. <laughs> Holding grudges, but you know what they did to you, right? Like you, you know how wrong that was and they haven't apologized. They haven't fixed it. They haven't acknowledged it. And so, I mean, I, I, I understand like forgiveness. Forgiveness is something we're supposed to do as Christians, but this, there's like unresolved, unresolved tension and that unresolved tension is harming my relationship to God. Like, it's distracting me. Like, I'm supposed to have full devotion to God, but, you know, and I, and I love everybody. But that one person, you mention their name, I don't have, I don't feel like I have the love of Christ for that one person. I have a, I, I'm holding a grudge that's stopping me mm. from, from, from expressing the love that I'm supposed to. Mm. Come on, that's good. Mm. That's good. Anybody else? Family. Somebody said family? Who said Family? Family? Are they here today? I'm, I'm sorry. That's, that's, it's like the person next to you. Why, uh, why, why family? Family is normally a good thing, right? They're they supposed to encourage you to be everything you're supposed to be. And why, why, why family? Uh, the encouragement is there to be religious. Um, so, yeah, they're not, they're not, they might not be encouraging you in some of the things that you might need, like religiously, like with your relationship to God. Somebody else said another one? Time. Time. Yeah, yeah. Anxiety, anxiety about what? What are you? What are you anxious to, for? People pleasing, meeting other people's standards. It's hard for it's hard for me to 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 think about what God has for me, and then also I have other people's standards I'm trying to balance as well, so I feel a little distracted. Unrealistic expectations of of. Okay. What else distracts you from full devotion to God? Somebody say guilt of unworthiness. Mm. What'd you say? Ungratefulness. Explain. Yeah, having a negative mindset. Yeah. Some of you in here have been in good health for the past like two years. You've had no major accidents. You haven't been taking multiple trips to the hospital. No one you know is sick or has died. And, and yet, it's still hard for us to be grateful for the things that we may take for granted. I, maybe I'm talking about myself here, but it's hard for me to, to be grateful and see the God in everything when I take for granted all the blessings he's given me. Like, all of, none of you have probably skipped a meal unless you're fasting because you're trying to lose weight. Like, that's the kind of life that we, we live in. But it's hard to thank God for our food when we know, you know, that's just kind of a given 
in our society. We take so many things for granted that maybe our lack of gratitude stops us from full devotion to God. One more. We're going to get into the verses. Keep your Bibles open. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. One more. Relationships. Ooh, relationships and doubt. I heard Relationships doubt. and doubt. Come on, relationships. You're in my notes now. You must have read, you must have read 1 Corinthians, didn't you? You cheater. Um, <laughs> The big question, so here's the big question. How do we live in undistracted devotion to God despite all of the different issues that you mentioned? Family, expectations, doubt, uh, and and relationships. And I want to see how Paul addresses these different distractions in chapters 5 through 7. We're going to move quickly through some of these passages, so I invite you to read them for yourself at a later time. But as we read them, I want to see if you can notice a pattern that Paul has as we go through these verses. You ready? Here we go. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1, Paul addresses the church tolerating a man who is sleeping with his mother-in-law, and Paul gives some very pointed instructions, but he ends in verses 6 through 8 by saying this, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed, therefore let us observe the feast, not with old leaven or, uh, or the leaven of malice or evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here, Paul is using an imagery, and he's connecting the infectious spreading of yeast into dough with how some bad habits may spread through a community. And we won't cover this whole metaphor or this analogy here, but I want you to see that Paul is not simply giving them a list of instructions or commands, but he's connecting it to Jesus' sacrifice. Like, he could just give a list of do's and don'ts, but instead he makes sure to connect it to Jesus' sacrifice. Let's look in chapter 6, verse uh, 1 through 11. Paul addresses the lawsuits that members of the church have against each other. And he gives some strong words in these verses, but in verses 7 through 10, he ends his statement in a very interesting way. It says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. So he's ending it. That is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. See if you can notice the pattern. He's not simply giving them a list of do's and don'ts, but he's reminding them of what Jesus has done for them in changing their identity, washing them, sanctifying them, and justifying them. In chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, we see that Paul addresses a man, men who are sleeping with prostitutes. And he ends uh, in verses 14, 15, 19, and 20. He said, God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are part of Christ's bodies? Flee from sexual immorality. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Down in verse 20. You are not your own. You are bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. He's not just giving them a list of do's and don'ts, but he's reminding them of the resurrection and their intimate connection with Jesus. Do you see the pattern? Two more. 1 Corinthians 7. So flip over to chapter 7, starting in verse 1 through 16. Paul addresses confusion about sex and marriage and some questions about divorce. According to the chapter, some husbands or spouses are, are likely fulfilling their sexual appetite with people other than their spouse. Some husbands are likely fulfilling their sexual appetite with people other than their spouse. Also, some followers of Jesus are married to people who don't love and trust Jesus, and they're wondering if they should get a divorce. 
And I would love to read through all these passages with you, but I really just want to point out verse 16, where he ends his whole block of teaching by asking a question. See if you can see it in verse 16. It says, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Why does he end it this way? After the impactful instructions he gives, he makes sure to end with a question about how spouses might leverage their commitments and their sexual intimacy to help their spouse develop a better relationship with God. I'm going to say that one more time. He ends, he ends with a question about how spouses might leverage their commitment to each other and their sexual intimacy to help their spouse develop a better relationship with God. All right, now we're at the end of chapter 7. Paul finally switches topics and he addresses people who are single. He addresses people who are engaged to be married. And he says, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. His interests are divided. An unmarried woman is concerned about being devoted to the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And Paul says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, an undivided devotion to God. Paul is not simply giving commands or making a list of do's and don'ts. His goal is not to restrict the church. His aim is to help us live in a right way, an undivided devotion to God. And in all these passages, in all these passages, Paul is basing his comments in relation to the gospel and our appropriate response. Do y'all see that pattern there? Well, he's given instruction, but then he ends it with the gospel. And his hope is that as you hear the gospel, your appropriate response is, is, is devotion to God, which leads you, it, it kind of implies what you should do. How many of you know that it's good to have a list? It's good to have clarity in a list. Like if you're, if you, let's say you have a new job, you might want a clear list of do's and don'ts, but what you need more than that is a sense of direction, a sense of guidance. Like what is our overall mission? What is our overall uh, purpose of what we're doing here? And so Paul here, he's not just gonna give do's and don'ts, but he's trying to remind you of a source of clarity that you have in the gospel. He's reminding you of a source of clarity that you have. Many of you, you're confused about what to do with that relationship. You're confused about what to do with that job. You're confused about what to do with the grudge you may have. Paul is trying to give you a source of clarity, not do's and don'ts, but if you can ponder the gospel, I think there's clarity in what your next decision might be. So the big question again is how do we have this undistracted devotion to God despite all of these different issues And the answer seems to be, Paul gives us the encouragement to see every part of our life, despite different life stages, uh, to look through the gospel. In other words, how specifically has Jesus's life, death, and resurrection given us hope to battle these distractions? Uh, It's not just about saying no to these distractions or following a set of rules. It's about reading and believing that God's way is better than our way, and we have to say yes to what God has called us to do. Side note, our God is a giver. He's not a taker. So if you feel like God has taken something from you, it's probably so that he can change your circumstance or maybe change and develop your character, and then maybe he'll give it back to you in a way that you can fully enjoy it. So here's an example with our our daughter. Uh, Justice likes to climb into a car, our driver's seat of our car. She'll grab the steering wheel and she'll sing the wheels on the bus go round and round. She'll be close the door, mama, I wanna drive. So when we say no, 
We are not fighting against our daughter's mobility and independence. If anything, we have been the main pushers of her mobility and her independence. But we know that when we recognize that the car is not the correct next step for her, um, if anything, it's the same way as our Heavenly Father. He wants to give us good things, but the next step might not be the thing that we are trying to drive. If we put the car in drive and let justice take off down the street, she might not make it out. The same thing, if you hop into the relationship yourself, could it be you might not make it out? If you jump into this job decision yourself, could it be that you might not make it out? So returning to my story, I, uh, funny thing, I always thought of idolatry as like bowing down to like some weird carved images, right? It had to be some type of mini figurine uh, or maybe like a painting. I think we have a picture of what I used to think it would be, yes. So those are the board game pieces to Jumanji, if you guys have ever seen the movie. So, but I always thought this was like idolatry when I read it in the Bible. This is what it would look like. Uh, as I continued walking with God, though, I got a clearer picture of what idolatry really was. And I realized at the time I had made my relationship or my boyfriend an idol. I was willing to sacrifice my time, my energy, my resources on the altar of us being together. Uh, same with drinking and many of my other own selfish wants. I was willing to sacrifice whatever I needed in order to go deeper into the presence of this selfish desire. An idol, it doesn't have to be a painting or a carving or a figurine that you bow down to. Uh, it was an empty image that I put my hope into. Something that has no eternal value, but I was looking to it for security for my future, significance in my present. And these are the things that only Jesus can provide. Jesus is our savior, not our job not our relationship. Jesus gives us hope, not a job, not a relationship, not money. Jesus gives us provision, peace, love, joy, peace, patience. Every, every part of the fruit of the spirit comes from a relationship with Jesus. And I had to learn not to fall in love with fake other Jesuses. Yeah, come on, I could sit here and watch you all day. Good. No, because some, sometimes we are underwhelmed by the gospel as Christians. We Come want on. somebody to come up here, yeah. teach us Greek and Hebrew, and fly so far over our heads, we don't have to do anything with the teaching when we get home. Say it again. Right? Like, like it's, it's so much easier to get up here and, and, and do like 10 hours of study and then try to impress you with like all of the crazy words that I know. Uh, but what we really need, what I really need, and what I think we really need is a fresh look at the gospel. Jesus has to be enough. His sacrifice has got to be enough. We can't, again, get so impressed with, with all the techniques and the, and the ways of communicating things about the Bible that we forget what's most important yeah. and we forget the ability to take what's most important and apply it to the thing that we most need. Mm. To take what's most important and apply it to the thing that we most need. But what about me? Like, how, how was I going to live a life undistracted by pornography and fornication like we talked about earlier on? I had to learn two things. Number one, I had to learn that the person on the other side of that screen has a soul which means God cares about that soul and that Christ died for the person that I'm objectifying, whether it was on a screen or whether it was the person I was sleeping with outside of marriage and using to fill up my own sense of self-worth and add a notch to my belt to try to be, act like I'm being a real man by, by being with different women. All of these women had a soul, and if they had a soul, that means that they were God's daughter. Yeah. And if they were God's daughter, that means that when I'm watching pornography... 
and then I'm trying to cultivate a relationship with God, I am watching your daughter, like somebody else's, a person's daughter, harm themselves and, and put themselves out there in a way that they're not supposed to. How then can I look you in the eye after watching your daughter do something that she's not supposed to do? Like, how can I look God in the eye after seeing, like, do you get the analogy here? Like, I, I can't talk to your dad after what I've done to you. In the same way, like when I, talk to, when I talk to my now wife, I can't speak out of the side of my mouth to you and then turn and go pray and be like, God, please help my wife. She doesn't listen to me. You surely like, cannot. No, because <laughs> I, I had an image was clear as day. There was a time me and Doriana were arguing and I could just see her dad standing behind her. Not her physical dad, even though that would have been helpful too, uh, but her heavenly father. And right when I was about to get, you know, how, you know how when you're about to throw that one low blow in the argument and you're like, oh, this is game on. Like, you know, you're going back and forth and you're like, okay, I'm about done with this I and you kind of wind up that one snarky little comment and you just slip it right underneath the belt boop, you know and so I was I was winding up I was ready to go I was like okay we're gonna do this and then right as I was about to speak something over her that God did not say come on demonic I was about to say something about you that God did not say about you I saw her heavenly father standing right behind her and he said excuse me what was that and I was like oh and the part of me is like, oh, if your dad wasn't here, maybe. But that's, it, it was that reality of like God's omnipresence that he's here and that his presence informs how I treat his daughter. Is that, is that deep enough for y'all to know? I mean, his presence informs how I treat his daughter. So that, I had to learn, number one, that it's not just um, that everyone has a soul. And because they have a soul, there's a lover of that soul on the screen. There's a lover of that soul who I'm married to. And that relationship informs this relationship here. I also had to learn that it's not just about saying no to sexual immorality. It's not just about saying no to sin. It's about saying yes to what God has for you. Again, God is not a taker. He's a giver. He's not trying to take uh, 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 relationships away from you, but he's trying to multiply goodness into your life. He's always trying to multiply goodness into your life. Think the two fish and five loaves of bread. If God seems to take something from you, it's only so that he can multiply it and return it back to you in a greater way. He's going to change your character uh, think uh, Abraham, sacrifice your son. He's not taking something from you, but he's developing your character and he's going to multiply it back to you. Think stars that are too numerous to number. He's always going to multiply goodness back into your life. And so if you ever believe the lie that God is taking money from me or he's taking status from me or he's taking my job from me or he's taking... Uh, my, my sexual freedom from me because he's asking me to stop watching pornography. Just know God is not a taker. He's always a giver of good things. And so if you feel like he's taking something, it's very likely he's trying to develop your character and he wants to multiply these things back to you in the perfect way that they were supposed to be enjoyed. That's good. That's good. Listen, we got about 10 minutes left. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Pete and Maria to come up and join us. Y'all give Pete and Maria a round of applause. Y'all come up here. If, all, if you know, you know. Come on. Pete and Maria Hay have been married uh, for much longer than me and Doriana have, and they've been following the Lord for much longer than me and Doriana have. And so I think uh, their stories are very impactful. Um, and so I'm going to grab some of these chairs for us, and I'm going to maybe, I'll give you all the mic. You can maybe introduce yourself uh, to people who have never met you, but here you go. Good morning. I'm naturally kind of loud, so I'll try not to talk into this microphone very closely. I'm Pete. This is my wife, Maria. We've been married now, coming up 32 years, right? Um, So Lashad and Doriana asked us to come up here and just share our life a little bit. 
and a few things that we've been through. So you can probably put your notebook and pencils down. We don't have anything that's life changing, altering. This is just this is just us. So, um, so what Doriana said a little earlier was was true. I mean, we're all at a point in our life, and I guess we'll first discuss is um, Maria and I were quite driven individually. Uh, since I was about 10 years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and I put a focus on that, and that is a major distraction. So all through high school, I was concentrating on grades. I was concentrating on how am I going to get to college. I did not grow up with money. I needed to pay my way through college. I got a scholarship. I got to college. It was, again, drive, drive, drive. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, a time frame I needed to do it in, and that's a major distraction. Uh, Maria and I both grew up in Christian families. It's easy when you live in a Christian family to take on your parents' Christian attitude and it's, you don't really own it. And I found that I really probably didn't own my salvation. I, I knew I was saved, but I probably didn't own that. And all through high school and college and even through vet school, the drive was and the distraction was to pursue what I wanted to pursue for me and for my life and not strengthen my relationship with Jesus. And, and Maria is probably much the same way. I'll let her go through her words of getting to that point before her and I met, and then we'll go from there. It's very similar. Ooh, hello. <laughs> um, I very similar. I wasn't quite probably as driven. I didn't know. I mean, I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian, but I kind of took the scenic route. He went the, you know, the shorter route. So, um, but I was in college for nine years and he was seven. So, but during that time, um, definitely the distraction was school and the drive. Um, my drive was not to fail. You know, I was completely on scholarship, same similar background, um, very smart and driven, but not a penny to our names. And really, I was the first one to go to college, so no clues to how all this worked. So all I knew was if I don't make the grades, I go home. So I was, it was all about the distraction truly was stay on task, you know, work, work, work. You know, I'm working to pay for my way, you know, so I can eat and then working for school so I don't fail. So that's kind of up to the point. Um, we met when I was a first year vet student and he was a fourth year vet student. He swore he'd never date a vet student, but because um, we were all a little bit like we we're all driven, we we're all uh, very distracted. Um, but I snatched him before he got away, so. Um, that's where we were. And honestly, when we started about when we started dating. Okay, so really we started dating, we dated three months before he graduated, and then I continued through vet school, which is, you know, every moment of every day. And so our biggest distraction was still work and school, but then we added this added distraction of each other because we didn't have very little extra time. I mean, there wasn't much time left over in the day, um, and we spent it with each other. So how much time did that leave for God? You know, again, we both grew up in very happy Christian households. It wasn't like, I'm mad at you. I'm 
you know, I'm not going to spend time with you, God. I was just literally, it's truly, when you talked about it, it truly was a distraction. It was just, you know, that slightly tugging you away, keeping you separated, because we didn't, I mean, we didn't have time, you know. We were busy, and we liked each other. (laughs) Then we got married. Oh, I'll start with that. So then we got married. Uh, My last year of vet school, um, the Christmas before I graduated, and you know what? It's opposite of Paul, (laughs) Um, we actually, that's when we came together in Christ. I mean, one of the reasons I married him, he was lots of reasons, very cute, he could dance, all those good things, he was smart, but the clincher was that he was a Christian. I just knew that, whoop, all the package, you know, checked off all the lists, perfect, boom, and God knew that. I mean, he told me that, I knew it, and so when we got together, it was very obvious that we were one, and together, we spent more time with God. I mean, it was just, but we had this less distractions of the whole dating scene, traveling, being long distance, although we spent the first semester apart. I had to go back to school. Um, But, I mean, we just had that time together, and we, you know, we consciously wanted to spend time with God together. And so that was um, a good, you know, a turn for the good. Then... So, so now we're both out of school. We, we're freshly married. Um, now it's, of course, work, work, work. And we, back in the day, <clears throat> I graduated vet school in 1989. The typical veterinarian probably worked 60 to 70 hours a week. So, again, distraction. Uh, I was in a mixed animal practice, a large animal, small animal, on the road, middle of the night, the whole nine yards. But, again, we had our focus, and we felt, you know, we had come together we were, we were concentrating on our relationship and our relationship with God and, and um, you know, cruising right along, doing really well. And then we had probably a most major life distraction that one can have. We decided to start a family, and we find out eight weeks into our pregnancy. About 16, about 16 weeks, sorry. <laughs> I was distracted. Uh, <laughs> about 16 weeks into the pregnancy that we are going to be faced with a special needs child. And that's tough. When you've been a guy that has grown up and always felt that I can pull myself up by my bootstraps and I can do everything. I'm, I'm smart. I've got through vet school. I've got my degree. I can work. I can do anything. And suddenly you're distracted with something that you have absolutely no control over. And it knocks your feet completely out from under you. And that distraction can do one of two things. It can drive you away from each other, which unfortunately it does in a lot of instances with special needs children and marriages. It can drive you away from each other, can drive you away from God, or it can drive you together, and it can drive you to your knees. And that's what it did for me. And probably a major turning point in my life when I now was not my family's was not my family's Christianity that I was living with it was my personal decision so that was a tough time um my hit 
he went through all the motions and feelings of having a child with special needs. We found out um, our baby was going to have Down syndrome. <laughs> he looks up, yeah. <laughs> and um, the first thing they said, well, one out of three make it to birth. So I'm like, oh, great. So not only did I think you, you know, found out he was going to have Down syndrome, but he may not even make it here altogether. So he's dealing with the Down syndrome part. I'm dealing with, I just want to have a baby. <laughs> we'll deal with the Down syndrome part later. And um, it, it's just a time, you know, just like almost everybody in the world, people, when people turn to Christ the most is when they need to, right? Um, so thank goodness we had him to turn to. Um, he, was, he was our rock. We went through all sorts of feelings and emotions and I've seen him cry like, I think twice in 30-something years, and that was one of them. And, um, but, you know, we, we learned. We just came together. We prayed. We, I mean, had people pray over us. Um, it was just the time that we, he just, God just literally picked us up and carried us through the whole process to the point where um, you, when he, Gabriel went in, he was three months old when he had to have open-heart surgery, and that's a tough day to hand your baby over to a doctor and say, oh, may or may not make it. You know, it's just, this, it was a tough thing. But I was at perfect peace. I had to, later on, I found one of my best friends. She goes, you didn't cry? She goes, they had to pry him out of my arms when they took my kid, you know? And I was like, oh, really? I was like, I just felt like I was handing him over to God and saying, here you go, Lord. And my mom even said, she goes, it was the weirdest thing. You were so calm. I was like, well, it's out of my hands. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. He's just, he's, he's God's child and he's going to take care of him. I mean, you know, and so um, I was like, really, am I supposed to be more worried than I am? <laughs> Is there something wrong with me? But that was a time where um, we just gave it to him. And of course, God came through with flying colors. Right, Gabriel Hay? Yes, right. <laughs> so um, that was a, there was a time period, of course, and we went on to have more children. My middle child is in the back over here, <laughs> Malachi. And, um, and most of you know him more than you know us. So um, God has blessed us, and we have a daughter as well. So time went on, and um, he's just been there for us. And at that point, I don't know when it... I'll let you. So now we have the distraction of family. We, so we have one child. We thought, well, yeah, this isn't a big deal. Especially, you know, we had one special needs, so pfft. So we had three before we knew it. We had three children under three. So that's very distracting, right? I mean, we had to have a triple stroller and had to buy a van. I mean, we found a Chevy or GMC Safari. It looks like a UPS truck. Y'all must not have had cable. Y'all didn't have anything else to do, That's huh? exactly. So, so one of Maria's clients said that, said, we're going to get y'all TV for your bedroom. So anyway, but the... But again, at that point, our focus, that distraction focused us probably more than anything. And so through the rest of the distractions of life, I mean, you have the distraction of raising three kids. I mean, my gosh, that was exhausting. And um, you, know, you, couldn't, you couldn't punch an app and they changed diapers. I mean, you had to do it yourself. So, I mean, we, we, we were distracted, but at the same time, we were focused. I mean, we had made a decision and a commitment with our family, that we were going to follow Jesus. And 
through the distractions, we always had to bring it back to that. So you have the distraction of three little kids, and then you have the distraction of starting school, and then you have the distraction of being the PTA. And Maria's doing most of this, and I'm doing the 60 to 70 hour vet work, which is a significant distraction. But during that time, as the shot and Doriana brought forth, you've got to bring your focus back to Jesus and back to the gospel. Um, we raised all our kids. We, they're great kids. We love our kids. Uh, we have a son-in-law now. So um, I've actually sold my practice. So we are at a point in life where I don't use the word retired. I'll never be retired. I do something different and I'm doing other things. But what we found now is for us personally, I think you can hit distractions when you get past all the distracting things in life. But we have found now that there are less distractions and I think we can focus more on what we are meant to do. And, you know, I love the way Drew put it together when we, when we started this church. It's love Jesus, build family, and change the world. And I think that is what we focus on now. And we do have to keep our distractions under control. But um, I would advise that try to choose that earlier, not retirement, try to choose earlier in life to minimize some of those distractions so that you have the time you need, not just for Jesus, but for other people. I mean, that's, that's what you've got to look at is what, what did Jesus do in his life on earth? He spent it with other people and for other people. And if you want to live a life like Jesus, I think you need to focus outside rather than what's in it for me. I'll let Maria wrap things up. Well, we're not going to say it was easy, but there were two decisions we made that we talked about last night. You know, what were some things that were really important to us? And um, one was that we were going to concentrate on our kids knowing Christ. I mean, um, and going to church wasn't going to be an option. It wasn't going to be you wake up in the morning. And, and I'm not saying church as in Sunday morning church, but at that point in time it was because, you know, life was. It wasn't, it wasn't an option. We just decided consciously we're not going to get up and say, are we going to church today? We're just, it's, we're going, we go to church on Sundays or Saturday nights, whatever it was. That was one decision we made. And I'm not saying you have to make that decision. And, and, but that was just, it was just an easy way to set astride the distractions for that moment in time because the decision was made, okay? And the other decision was um, early on that we would never, ever, ever contemplate divorce. And easier said than done for a lot of people. But with that decision made, you can have a hearty argument or a disagreement knowing that, well, it's not even an option. So, you know, I know he still loves me and I... And since we are going to spend the rest of our life together, I'm going to be pretty nice to him because I want him to like me for the whole time. <laughs> we may not have liked each other for every moment of every day, but, you know, you, you tend, to see, tend to be nice to someone you're going to spend, the, you know, the rest of your life with. So, so those, it, it's kind of a consequence of uh, two decisions that we made early on. So we wanted our kids, kids to grow up in an environment um, not just learning all the rules and stuff, but also, you know, set examples for them. But, um, and then, yeah, now that we're semi-retired, um, I just enjoy spending time 
loving on people that Jesus has showed us how to do that. So we just keep going back to him for that. So that's it. So one other thing for the, for the younger in the room, um, guard, guard your mind and guard your heart from the distractions like Bashaw was talking about. Guys, social media and all the stuff that's out there is so distracting. I would encourage you, take those earbuds out of your ears. Just spend some time in silence. The, the, of course, this is me, and I'm a little bit of an introvert. But the best time I have is I go somewhere, and for me, it's the ranch, and I'll be out there for two days. I don't have a radio. I don't have my phone. I don't have earbuds. I have nothing. But it's complete and utter lack of distraction that just gives your mind some time to rest. And you need that. And make it a conscious effort to pull away from that distraction because that is a huge and major distraction that our society is living with. In fact, it's become a concern of a medical problem. If you read articles, they talk about this is the next medical issue is all this social media stuff. So thanks for y'all's time this morning. Y'all were gracious. Yeah. Um, one of the things that they mention is, is, is they mention work being a distraction. And, and worship team, you can come on up. Um, it's 11-11, so we're going to go ahead and start wrapping up. One of the things they mentioned is that work is a distraction. Um, sometimes work is a distraction because you have selfish ambition, right? You have, you have visions of yourself climbing the tallest professional mountain possible and hitting financial home runs for your family. Um, and I, I just want to invite you to consider that the prize is not the next promotion. Jesus is the prize. Intimacy with God is the goal. And so just keep that as your main focus. That doesn't mean that you don't perform well at work. That doesn't mean that you don't accept a, a certain position, but just keeping Jesus as the prize of your life helps reorient what you do. Sometimes work is a distraction because you got bills to pay, like flat out more bills than money coming in. All right. I'm not going to sit up here and, and say, just pray all your bills away. Uh, that's, that's not the case. But Jesus would say something like this, that you don't have to worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat because God knows that you need these things. And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. If you ever are walking in, in what you feel like is scarcity and fear and not being able to have enough or not being able to, to provide for yourself, please let the words of Jesus kind of wash over you today. God knows what you need. He knows what you need. And he's saying, just focus right here on me, and I promise you we will get through this together. Don't make a hasty decision out of fear and out of scarcity. Do not make a hasty decision out of fear and out of scarcity. Keep your eyes locked on me, and I promise that you're gonna get everything that you need. Jesus makes this very simple for us. And in times of, of, of worry, where maybe your son might be going through surgery, or there's something just out of control, a bill or a health issue comes up that's just completely out of your control, it is okay to say it's out of my hands because I know whose hands it's in. It's out of my hands. God says he, he's our refuge. We can run to him in time of trouble. I think many of us need to 
start adopting that phrase. Maybe say that sometime throughout this week. Look at a situation that you want to control and say, you know what, this is out of my hands. This is above my pay grade. This is out of my hands. But I'm saying that not because I'm giving up, but because I'm giving it to God. I'm not giving up on this relationship. I'm not giving up on this problem, but I'm giving it up to God to say, this is out of my hands, but God, I know it's in your hands. It's in your hands. And because you're in control, I don't have to worry. So come on, come on. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At The Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's Word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.